Welcome to the Gen Z Stoic Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mateo. And I'm your co-host, Ren. Uh, In today's episode, we're going to be discussing how to function in the workplace more efficiently and how to make your job more enjoyable, uh, as well as giving you an insight on our current job experiences or our previous job experiences. Right, and uh, we're going to be oriented kind of towards our younger audience in terms of like teenage jobs and then career path. So today we are going to be uh, discussing first our past job experiences, and if we're currently working, we're going to be talking about that. And then we're going to cover two main points. One, how to excel inside your current workplace, and two, um, your career path and finding your ikigai, which we will discuss what that is later. Mm -hmm. So first, to start with uh, our previous job experiences, I know that I've had a fair amount of um, experiences in the workplace. When I, I think my first job ever was, um, I started working as a lifeguard in 20, no, my first job ever was, I was employed on a farm, uh, by my soccer coach and I worked as a field worker, just moving irrigation pipe, nothing serious. Um, you know, I was too young to work a real job. I'm young for my grade. So as a freshman, I was 14 and uh, then as a sophomore, 15, well, going into sophomore summer, I worked as a lifeguard. Um, and then I worked at a certain location. And then the December of 2021 was when I started working as a lifeguard at another location. And then I've continued to work on the farm. But um, I've noticed that in a job that requires um, customer service, it's very important to be seen professional at all times. Um, there's no good reason to not be seen as having a professional manner. Um, the thing too is I have very big dreams and a high ambition for what I want to end up working in the future. And so working as a lifeguard right now seems very insignificant, but I know that I'm here for a reason and I have a purpose in what I'm doing and there are certain lessons I'm supposed to gain out of it. And I certainly have, you learn a lot about the people that you work with, um, in your job the more you spend time working with them so uh this upcoming summer uh, i'm planning on full-time working on the farm so i will be leaving the lifeguarding position and then um working out full-time on the farm the reason i the reason i started working as a lifeguard was it's it was one of the best paying jobs it was close and convenient to my house um living in a small town you know it's hard to find a a decent job that's convenient and pays well at the same time so making the best of what I have but I'll be moving on to the farm it'll be great to spend the mornings outside uh, physical labor and blue collar work is just very rewarding uh, mentally like when you do a hard task and you complete it you just feel better and then I think I'll be getting a second job as a waiter to get better at social skills and talking in public um, I certainly consider myself well versed but applying actual um, in context vocabulary to the right situation and having the right social skills is a different story so I'd like to improve my public speaking under pressure and um, in a time constricting job uh, in the far future I hopefully see myself working at internships out in Los Angeles uh, when I go there for school um, and then hopefully advancing up the ranks and then becoming the CEO of my own company eventually so I can be financially free and work on my own schedule yeah, uh, and you're majoring in entrepreneurship correct I'll be ma- uh, majoring in business management with a emphasis in entrepreneurship, yeah. Yeah, also shout out you, Layla Marimount. Right. Yeah, I committed to $200,000 scholarship. Yeah. Mhm. It's 
my thing with college was I didn't want to pay a lot of money mm -hmm. to, and go in debt to get a degree. But thankfully, uh, the work in high school has paid off, and I'll be able to go and get a further education uh, in a great area that I've uh, loved being in and just meet a lot of new people and expand my network. Um, so, yeah. I think it's a good decision for you. If I can give you my two yeah. cents, I think well, it's a good decision. Well, I appreciate it. But uh, what about you? I know you've worked at Home Depot. Previously. Yeah, so um, much like you, I kind of started out like not with a formal job, but kind of with that blue-collar work. So I moved um, back in 2019, and the neighborhood I moved into was a largely retirement community. And so I saw the need for they had relatively large properties, and they were old and couldn't, like, caretake obviously fully and so they're hiring out to these people who would overcharge them and I was like I can just give them a fair price and do the work and it's in my neighborhood so I could just walk to the house I already have the tools and everything so I did that for I mean since 2019 since freshman year especially during the summer like you said there's I mean there's really it sucks in the moment but once you get home from like a day where you woke up at like seven sun was rising you did work all day it was sweaty hard work you come home dirty you take that shower and you come out of the shower and like you're just so tired you don't like overthink or anything mm -hmm. you're just like proud of the hard day's work and that's it mm -hmm. and it puts you right to sleep like the value of blue collar work is immense like i'm not going to put it down but it's also something that i think is valuable because it teaches you that you don't want to do that for the rest of your right. life mm -hmm. because you're like you know this is cool as a 16 year old this school's a 15 year old but it's not something i want to be doing when i'm 40 like, right I don't want to be sore every day when I come home. I don't want to have to, like, just crash after right. every day. So it was very valuable. And then, like you were saying, I moved on to Home Depot, which was, like, my first formal job um, back in, when was it, like, April of 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, it was around when I got my license. I got my license late. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a job. That's how I describe it. Like you mm -hmm. said, I got it because it paid well. It was close in proximity to me. Um, I knew a couple of people who worked there, and they said it was great, so I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll go do that. Mm -hmm. You know, Home Depot was home to a lot of maintenance stuff, and I was like, you know, I'm not – I kind of have knowledge of outdoor maintenance, like irrigation systems, like you are saying, sprinkler systems, all that kind of fun stuff, mm -hmm. landscaping stuff. But I was like, you know, interior design, like all that kind of, like, lumber knowledge, like that kind of stuff would be valuable to have, and I picked that up working at Home Depot – as it turns out, when you work for a year at Home Depot, you don't pick up any of that knowledge. Um, <laughs> I did not learn very much. Um, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to complain about my job. Obviously, you know, Stoics, not sure. no complaints. But it, it was a job. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It was just kind of mm -hmm. there. I did enjoy talking to some of the people I worked with. Um, Certainly. I got close with a few people who I worked with. Too. Um, yeah, no, I got close with people that I worked with and developed some close friendships. Um, I think there's a few who still work at Home Depot. I'm not really sure, but it was great, you know, getting that work experience, getting that feeling of, like, going in to work and putting in an eight-hour shift and then coming home sure. where it wasn't, like, just pure physical labor. Mm -hmm. And you were correct. I was in customer service as a cashier. Yep. Like, customer service requires a certain amount of professionality and just cool mannerism and knowledgeability of product knowledgeability of the customer mm -hmm. and just kind of that sure. friendliness and so it really works on just like small talk mm -hmm. which is something that i really struggle with like i'm certainly knowledgeable about a lot of things but one of my shortcomings is like social interaction and like small talk sure 
if it's not something that like I'm interested in, I don't usually succeed in like carrying a conversation mm-hmm. about it. But Home Depot really improved my ability to just make small talk about Sorry. whatever. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a job, and I think teenagers need to have that first job that they mm-hmm. don't love but they don't hate. Of course, I think no teenager is really gonna love a job mm-hmm. at that age, but it's something that's a necessary experience in my opinion. Because like you said. It's the motivation to be like, you know, I'm driven, I'm ambitious, I do not want to be here in 20 years. Yeah. So it reinforces, you know, I don't want to work this job. Right. Well, there's a lot of benefits, right? I mean, one, you definitely learn to appreciate the people who do work in that mm-hmm. area. I mean, yeah. my um, something my mom always said was everybody should work in the as a waiter in the food industry because it's a really busy and time-demanding industry. Uh, she worked as a waiter in college, and I certainly considered, like I said, that's why I sort of want to be a waiter. You learn to appreciate a lot of things, but also, like you were talking about, you meet some good people. You meet, yeah. you meet some really nice people. Um, you also just acquire little niche skills here and there that you might overlook now, but looking back, you'd be like, oh, I guess I really learned this back well, then. Well, and working at like a big company like Home Depot, or if you work at like a chain restaurant or something, like you get such a diverse like perspective of people, yeah, diverse array of people where like, right, like oh, this person does this, and I've never seen that. Like that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like I certainly met a lot of people at Home Depot who had a wide variety of interests, and you know they were eighty and just doing it to get out of the house, right? Or they were my age, you know. And mm-hmm. It was just cool to talk to each person equally and kind right. of see like the life view and stuff of people who you know, are 40 and doing the job and, or are 80 and are retired and they're just doing that to get out of the house, like I said, or they're, it's their first job or, mm-hmm. and everything in between. Certainly. Um, definitely in the future, I'm with you. I have no interest in going into any of those things. And the summer, I thought about being a waiter, but in the culture right now, people aren't tipping. So I was like, it's probably not fair. Which, so we'll see what yeah. I, I, I do need to get a job for the summer. Like, right. I didn't really reveal that, but I quit Home Depot back in October. Mm-hmm. So I need another job. Obviously, right. I'm doing side hustles with selling shoes and day trading and stuff. So sure. I don't need it money-wise. But, like, we were talking off off the air about how, like, it's just something to fill the time. Right. It makes you feel productive, mm-hmm. and I need that sense. Well, and, I mean, even just having a steady flow of income even if it's not much it's still rewarding and like it compounds over time and yeah. that can be rewarding for sure but like when you were talking about the diverse um, group of people in the workplace you also see it in the customers especially working in a customer service I mean as a guard you know I'll see a family of seven and then I'll see a family of two or I'll see a group of teenagers or the old ladies that come and do the water exercise classes. You know, you get to see a lot of different people and you learn to uh, understand that everybody does come from a different situation. Like if you were to see someone just on the surface outside of work, you'd be, you would be quick to judge. But when you really see someone for an extended period of time, like the regular uh, people mm-hmm. who come in or come out, um, you really just start to understand that they really are just people too and that they have lives of their own and may not be as fortunate, but you learn to appreciate what you have for sure. Uh, And so to our next point, I think that's a good transition into how to excel in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, We're gonna get, we're gonna provide you guys with a few tips um, that we've acquired in our short but hectic um, experience in the workplace. Um, The first would be don't make anything harder than it has to be. Do your job and go home. There's a quote from Marcus Aurelius that says, if someone asks you how to write your name, 
would you bark out each letter? If they get angry, would you then return the anger? Wouldn't you rather gently spell out each letter for them? So then remember in life that your duties are the sum of individual acts. Pay attention to each of these as you do your duty. Just methodically complete your task. Now that's good because we're going to talk about in the future um, what you put out into the workplace. How And in our previous episode, we discussed how things are an energy game. And so when you're putting out negative energy, you're going to get negative energy back. But the bigger takeaway here is you need to have absolute precision on every task you do. Just complete them methodically and then complete your duties and then get out. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody who works at a job knows the one person who like has to question everything management right. says. And some things are valid to question, but mm-hmm. there's that person who you know questions everything, has to be explained a reason to do everything. Ultimately, in a work environment, if you have a boss, they're your boss, and you can't really question them right. unless it like, risks your safety or you think it does major damage to the company mm-hmm. or is something that's not good to be implemented. Right. But just because it's hard to do or something like that, you don't you don't question your boss. You don't question the authority. You just simply do it. Mm-hmm. And you devote your energy to finishing the task. And whatever results of it is the, is the end result. Ultimately, you right. did what you were asked, and so it's not your fault if it fails. It's not your really your benefit if it succeeds. Right. So just, you know, do your job. Don't make anything harder than it has to be. Simplify things. Keep things simple. You know, there's the keep it simple, stupid right. um, saying. And I think that's a good application to, like, first jobs. And even as you elevate in the career field and become at elevated levels like CEO, mm-hmm. you know, if you keep things simple, it's a much better management style. Right, and I'll be honest. I've definitely struggled before. There's been certain times when management at one or two of my jobs have just not been what I would have done or what I would have preferred and I've definitely you know talked about the boss behind the back type of thing but um, realizing that that doesn't provide you any benefit that doesn't actually change the situation will help you have a much better mindset and a more positive outlook on your um, workplace well and think about it from like a respect level the manager isn't going to have a high level of respect for you if you're constantly questioning his or her choices at every single turn. Right. That becomes like a toxic relationship between the boss and their employee. For sure. And that's not helpful for anybody in that situation versus, you know, if you do the task and then it fails or like it went how you thought it was, then right. you can have a conversation afterwards. But you showed that loyalty. You showed that ability to follow directions. And that kind of earns sure. you privileges and earns you the ability to question later. Right. And the second part of that is like do your job and go home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for work around work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Work-life balance is certainly important. And I think this kind of applies more to, you know, the adult, I say with like air quotes, adult jobs, sure. not like the teenage jobs. It's really easy to leave like a Home Depot position or a lifeguard position yeah. there and not take it home with you. Yeah. There's certainly situations where, you know, something happens at work and it annoys you or angers you and you take it home and you talk to your parents about it, you talk to somebody about mm-hmm. it. And that's not really the intent of work. Work is meant to be left at work. It's yep. your job. It defines you nothing more than your job, so mm-hmm. leave it there. Um, Aurelius says that, Today I escaped from the crush of circumstances, or better put, I threw them out, for the crush wasn't from outside me, but in my own assumptions. And that's just kind of the framework of whatever circumstances happened at work, whatever angered mm-hmm. you at work, whatever made you sad at work, you know, whatever happened at work, just throw them out and leave right. them at work. It's a very bad habit to take work back home. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be successful in the workplace, you leave your work at the workplace because right. a healthy work-life balance is important for both your work and just your overall sense of happiness. And yep. everybody everybody knows a happier worker, a more joyful worker is a more productive one. Mm-hmm. And 
the key to doing that is leaving your work there certainly and maintaining a work-life balance and it goes the other way as well you don't take your life and personal issues to work right and i think both are equally as prominent i mean you see it especially i mean there's been certain teachers that i've had who bring their personal lives into school at the wrong time that's just an example but there are definitely times where like you said when you need to leave work at work you also do need to leave home at home when you go to work you're getting um, paid to get things done not to tell other people not to bring your outside life into the workplace um but you were talking about keeping things simple which is very important because when you keep things simple and don't overcomplicate things you're much more efficient and you complete things uh, on a quicker timeline and there's another quote from aurelius it says at every moment keep a sturdy mind on task at hand doing it with strict and simple dignity affection freedom and justice you can do this if you approach every task as if it is your last giving up all distraction and we've mentioned this in previous episodes, but that's something that Stoics preach about a lot. It's just having absolute sheer perspicacity and concentration on one task. And when you have absolute concentration on one thing that you're doing, it's choosing to monotask rather than multitask. When you're monotasking and focused on one thing at a time, you're going to be much more productive. Um, it's easy in the workplace, especially nowadays, to feel very overwhelmed with many tasks at once. But if you just focus on doing one thing at a time, it's going to be much easier than trying to do many things at once. Um, even if it seems like you're being more productive by kind of multitasking, the quality of your work is going to be better if you prioritize one thing and then the next. Right. And that's another valuable skill that work teaches is that prioritization. It's like, you know, have you ever had the feeling where like you're doing like a menial task? For me, it, like Home Depot was like restocking shelves. But, like, you get into the zone, so then you're just, mm -hmm. like, flying through it, and you're doing it accurate. Like, I feel like that's the feeling you get when you just kind of devote yourself to the task. And mm -hmm. instead of complaining, you know, oh, this sucks, or this is boring or something, you're just like, all right, I'm going to get the, go get this done. And sure. then do it, do it, do it. And you can sit back. And something as meaningless as just, like, clearly stocked shelves, at least to me, holds a little bit of meaning. Because it's like, all right, so the people who go here tomorrow are going to see, like, these neatly organized right. shelves, and that was due to me. And... It's just that kind of sense of accountability and just innate goodness that you were productive, the sense of productivity. And when you multitask, as you said, not everything gets done to the fullest of your abilities because sure. you're divider, diverting attention between two or more than two things. N not each respective thing is going to get your best effort. Mm -hmm. And the people who go further in the workplace, the people who succeed in the workforce are successful because every task they do, everything they're given, their employer expects and then gets their best effort mm -hmm. because they devote themselves to one task. They view it as that one finite task to do to their fullest completion, mm -hmm. and then they move on. They don't multitask. They don't worry about other things that aren't that task or right. other things in the workforce workplace that aren't even work. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you talked about expectations because that's another thing um, to help you your mentality in the workplace is if you are expecting more um, from yourself than other people. That means you're expecting yourself to put in the work, but you're not necessarily expecting other people to match your work ethic if you are a person who is a high achiever um, and with a strong work ethic. If you set high expectations for other people, you're going to be constantly disappointed. Now, that doesn't mean you lower your standards for the quality of work that you're expecting, but it means that you don't necessarily expect someone to do what you would do in the situation. I know personally just... To give an example, I'm a very empathetic person. Mm -hmm. uh, if I were to see someone uh, in distress, I would try and talk to them and help them. But I know certainly that not everybody thinks that way. So if I were to expect that from everybody else, I'd be disappointed. Right. 
Well, and I apply it to the workforce in terms of like, you never should expect somebody to take your shift, but I think you should always be willing to take other people's shifts if it works for you. Um, that's my piece of advice. You know, you know, it may suck that you get kind of left out to dry by your coworkers. It may suck that you have to take shifts that you don't want to take. But ultimately, being a team player now, I think, pays off when you get into mm-hmm. the elevated positions. You get into your career and you get into effective teams. We'll talk about career path, but ultimately and ideally in your career, you choose to surround yourself with people who have the same goals, same ambition, sure. you know, same passion. And so it's going to be an effective team versus, you know, you go to Home Depot, the varying perspective is great. That means that every person's differently motivated and works in different ways mm-hmm. and is not the most effective team. Right. So therefore, you have to adapt to that. And I think working with the experiencing maybe not the best coworker is helpful for when you get to more elevated positions, when you get to your actual career, once you graduate from those high school jobs. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. And to add to your point with... Um, expectations the first way to make sure that you're never going to be let down well to reduce the amount of times that you are let down by people is to establish a very clear purpose when you first meet people in the workforce it's important for uh, we're talking about this in an entrepreneurial class that i'm taking shout out hannah but um you have to first give people the clear intention of who you are as a person what and what your intentions are this can be what your intentions are personally, what your intentions are in the workplace, so this person better gets to understand who you are. If you're lacking a very complete connection with your coworkers, then you're not going to work well together. You have to thoroughly understand each other, not necessarily on a personal level, but at least the intentions have to be very transparent of what the team and shared vision is in the workplace. I, I mean, I think that's true to a degree, but I've also seen, even with my own personal experience, people who you don't really talk to or communicate with if your scope of employment is very limited as it is at like a home depot like an entry-level position you can work well with other people even with little communication because it's just kind of if you have a ground level understanding and this starts like at the top if the top relays down to the you know bottom if we're looking at a company structure if the top management relays down to the bottom like entry-level positions what the expectation is and what the standards are they'll work well together you know it may not happen initially but eventually if you work long enough at a place so when those expectations are clearly relayed you're kind of forced to coalesce with the people that you work with whether you communicate whether you like them or not and so you become an effective team and i certainly experienced that at home depot i don't know what your personal experience is with that but i didn't see eye to eye with a lot of the people i worked with and yet and i didn't talk to a lot of people i worked with yet i still found ways to communicate in a professional sense and work well with them I think understanding what management wants, I mean, I work for a YMCA, so I don't know what the YMCA wants, but I do know what our aquatics director mm-hmm. wants, and that's pretty clear amongst our coworkers, so that is a good point that you make, that it doesn't necessarily have to be between worker to worker, but as long as from the hierarchy in businesses, if it's yeah. from management down to the employees, if it's clear. Well, I'm someone who looks at business from top down, not bottom up and I think we've talked about strategies for effective leader we talked about influence we talked about all that and it's the same thing in the workforce where you only go as far as your leader does and you know it doesn't have to be like the head of the YMCA it can just be your aquatics director if it's Home Depot it can just be the store manager it doesn't have to be you know the CEO of Home Depot and 
there's certainly something to be said about effective leaders making effective workers. And it goes back to our original point, which is oftentimes don't challenge the leadership. Like if you're in your first job, if you're, you know, in a kind of blue collar workforce, like entry level job, there's a time and place to challenge workforce. And it's certainly not always, it's probably not even sometimes it's, you know, when things are clearly wrong. Right. And that doesn't mean that internally you can't question everything that you're being asked, but there is a time and place to actually come forth and acknowledge your concerns and make them clear to management. But that doesn't mean, like, you seriously should be questioning everything that you're being told, um, and that goes for everything. It's just whether to, or not you vocalize it. Exactly. There's a difference between understanding it and processing it mentally than um, speaking it. And... With that, I would like to uh, transition into the career path section of right. this episode. So, I mean, we're talking about, like, entry-level jobs, and then this is certainly going to appeal more to a certain audience, but wh- how do you decide what your career path should be? What should you prioritize in searching for right. a career? I certainly, you know, we're entering college next year. We have a lot of friends who are entering college next year, so what should you look for, what you right. should prioritize? Once you get out of that... Um, first stage of your experience in the workforce this is a much more applicable tool so it's uh, a Japanese word and the word is ikigai it's I-K-I-G-A-I which essentially means a life's purpose Uh, an ikigai refers to defining your personal meaning of life in relation to your talents passions and profession as well as what you can give to the wider world to dumb that down into easier uh, words it's essentially composed of four things what you love, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. There are worksheets online that you can fill out to like write this down and better understand um, your, your talents, pr- passions, and professions. But once you become very clear and very intentional about all four of these things, it will become much easier to put together an idealistic job and career path for yourself. Right, and you know what's funny is that I hadn't really heard of Ikigai or anything like that until like literally earlier this week I was, uh, I forget what I was looking at, but it just kind of popped up on my phone and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really pay any mind. And then you mentioned what it was and I looked it up and I was like, oh, I saw that earlier this week. So I really hadn't had a concept of it um, until earlier this week. But some of the principles that I was thinking about career path and thinking about as we were planning for this episode kind of aligned with what the Ikigai said. I think that in your career, the priority should never be money. It should never be materialistic things. That goes just both mm-hmm. to apply stoicism and just to apply common sense. Um, you can do something that makes a lot of money, but if you have to go into an office five days a week, you know, eight hours a day, right. and you hate it, how much is that money really worth then because you're sacrificing exactly. so much of your happiness? So for me, um, both in my personal opinion and in the Ikigai, you discover what is your passions mm-hmm. and that that happens now that happens you know in high school that happens when you're younger that happens in college right, right. and what you do is is a process of finding out where to apply those passions mm-hmm. um as you said it boils down into what you're good at what the world needs and what you can be paid for mm-hmm. um so you find those passions you find what you love and what you're good at those are the right. passions and especially today it's never been easier to turn your passion into a profitable uh business and no, we, i'm speaking I'm, in terms of entrepreneurship of course well take for example i mean we were passionate about stoicism and we made a podcast certainly exactly the world 
functions off of satisfaction from goods and services. When they are provided with a service that benefits them, they're going to look for more things that benefit them that are related in that area. So if you can find something that you're passionate about and put in the work and develop a system that works where you can provide this good and service to people, it's going to be very successful if you are passionate and working hard enough towards this goal. Not only is it something you're lo- that you love, but usually the things that you love, you have a general idea or experience in that field, and so you can become good at it. Yeah, and it takes it takes time, right? That's why one of the most valuable things of people that are young have is time. And we have time to explore what am I good at versus what am I passionate about versus, you know, what can I be successful with? Sure. And it's kind of <clears throat> finding that balance where, you know, okay, I might be good at music, but I don't see an avenue to make money in that, so maybe that's not the thing. Sure. Well, let's look around music and let's see what exactly I can do to make money off of that. Right. And it's not the end-all, be-all. Money is certainly not the end-all, be-all, but a practical and rational thinking person with their career is going to consider money. Mm-hmm. You have to consider money, but you shouldn't prioritize it. Correct. And for those of you that have listened this far, um, if you have listened this far, go to our Instagram and DM us Ikigai and we will send you a PDF of a Ikigai worksheet that will help you find your passion and your purpose, what you're good at, what you can make money so you can better understand yourself. Cool. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, And so as we sort of come to an end in this episode, there's a few other points to touch and that is... um, Never feel locked in to one right. career. I think we were talking about how like you have time to explore your passions and stuff. You also have time to change your career, no matter what stage of life you're in. Right. You can think that something makes you happy, but if you discover even at like 50 that what you're doing isn't bringing you true joy, change your career. Right. Like I know that's easy for us to say because to us money isn't really an issue right now because mm-hmm. we don't have to pay rent, mortgage, or for food, utilities, all that stuff. But you always have time to change your career. Seneca talks about how it's disgraceful. The lawyer whose dying breath passes while at court at an advanced age, pleading for unknown litigants and still seeking the approval of spectators. There's nothing worse than being locked in a career that you hate, whether it's by age and retirement, whether it's by choice when you're 40, 50, whatever have you. Never feel locked into your career. And so for the people out there who are listening to us who are older and maybe aren't going to college right now, never feel locked into your career. You can be whatever age have you. Mm -hmm. Take a true evaluation. Find your center. Find what you're passionate about at that age. Find what you can make money off of that passion. And find if it aligns with your ikigai and aligns with your current career. And if it doesn't, think about changing it. For those in our audience, the majority of our audience, who are younger, who are going to college, going to high school, or just out of college, explore your passions fully. Mm -hmm. Explore your passions fully. Try to see what they can do for you outside of just being your passion and align your career with those values. Also, another another really important thing to note is don't chase money forever. The thing about money is that it truly isn't actually real. We have just placed value. We've placed monetary value, and it's provided a system of structure. But if you chase money forever, you are going to completely overlook the important parts of your life that truly matter, which is spending time with your loved ones, taking care of yourself. My goal personally is the reason I want to become a CEO of a business is so that I can have my own timeline. I want to be financially free to where I can just experience life, Mm -hmm. travel the world, see cultures, see nature, try new foods, meet new people. I don't want to be stuck in an office working all day. Now that's not to shame people that, like if you want to 
be a lifeguard for the rest of your life. That's fine. I'm just giving my personal opinion. Right, it's about passions and dreams. And exactly. You know, you make a good point, right? You can find money almost anywhere. You can put 10 bucks in a Roth IRA. You could have invested in crypto. Like, you can put your money into anything. Mm -hmm. You can't always have a loving family. You can't be surrounded by friends at every moment. And so there's something to be said. You cherish those things which are more valuable. Right. Those experiences are more rare, are more memorable than 100%. saying, you know, I have a nice car or I have this amount of money, you know, right. X, Y, and Z. Financial freedom is certainly important, mm -hmm. but it has to be a priority game. And that's certainly a big Stoic belief is Stoics didn't care about money. They didn't care about wealth. I would rather be broke and have a very loving and supportive family than be rich with no people to share that money with at all. Right. There is a fine line between uh, materialistic items and items that just things in your life that you can't replace with any amount of money. Well, and to tie it back to the Ikigai, the Ikigai recommends that you have a center that isn't your career, like family, right. like friends, like something that you're very passionate about that is your center. Your work, what makes you money, should never be the center of your life because right. the saying that money doesn't buy happiness, it's it's true to a certain degree. It is true. And if you center yourself around the money, at some point you will be left disappointed versus yeah. if you center yourself around family, around friends who are there for you always, that support you, Certainly. that are loving, you won't be failed by them. You won't be disappointed by them. They will lift you up. And so with that, uh, we encourage you to, if you like, again, if you've listened this far, to DM us Ikigai so we can send you a PDF of this worksheet and help you uh, focus your vision more on what you want to be, what you're good at, what you love. Um, and we just want to say, again, don't, don't feel locked into your career. You can do anything you want with the right amount of uh, effort and accumulation of knowledge. And whatever you put out, you're going to get back. So for those of you think, uh, who have listened, thank you for listening. This is episode 10 of the Gen Z Story Podcast. We also encourage, before we close, we also encourage you to leave feedback and tell us what you want to see on the live stream event. We will put out a poll asking about life experiences, lessons, whatever you want to hear from us. Please engage. Go check out the live stream event on April 1st, and we will answer your questions, your concerns, your feedback, whatever you want. We are excited for this event, and this has been the Gen Z Stoic Podcast.